Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, and welcome to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Gray. Joining me today, I have... Liz Jarman. She is our CRRC program coordinator. Kelly Rupp, our coordinated entry specialist. And Heather Berard, she's our HUDVASH program coordinator. And if you know anything about what the VA does and what all of those acronyms mean, today we are going to be talking about something that is uh, always at the forefront for us here at the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System, veteran homelessness. And, um, you know, it's, it's winter. It's cold outside. Got to get people inside. Uh, there's a lot going on here in the community um, and within the VA that we're trying to target this. So we are going to go ahead and uh, have a chat about this today and uh, see what we're doing and see what we got coming up. So ladies, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Happy to be here. There we go. All right, we got everybody in there. All right. <laughs> so, you know, when we talk about homelessness, like uh, we've got the three of you here, right? This isn't just a, a one person solution. It's a big team thing. And I'm sure there's a ton of people who aren't even around this table talking on this show right now who are involved in, in making this happen. So why don't you tell us each a little bit about what piece of the puzzle you all have and then kind of how you all fit in together? Sure, I can start with that. Um, I'm the coordinated, uh, sorry, Community Resource and Referral Center um, program coordinator. We are the intake for all homeless veterans. So when homeless veterans come in, they're looking for housing, we can refer to permanent housing, transitional housing, often same day. Um, so it's kind of the front door entrance for veterans into homeless programs. Um, we take veterans on a walk-in basis, first come, first serve, and we try to assist however we can with whatever their needs may be. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of veterans presenting dealing with a homelessness situation or in crisis and they have multiple needs whether it's medical housing mental health and so we try to meet them where they're at and address whatever we can okay thank you heather well in the housing and urban development veterans affairs supported housing program we are um, often we receive the referrals from the crrc um, and what we are is we are a very large uh, interdisciplinary team we have um We've expanded, so we have our clinical social workers and peers, um, but we also have occupational therapy, rec therapy, um, vocational specialists, and just a multitude uh, of folks that work in our program. And the reason behind that is we are working with veterans who have the most complex needs, whether they're medical, mental health, both, um, and a history of homelessness, long-term homelessness. Um, and what we do is we are working to get veterans into that permanent supported housing and collaboration with our Southern Nevada Regional Housing Authority um, to provide, their, they provide the voucher for the housing. We help find the housing and help veterans not only get to their housing, but maintain that housing overall and stay in that permanent housing stably. Okay, Kelly? Yeah, um, as the coordinated entry specialist, my role encompasses many different hats and avenues. Um, my role really is collaborating um, and implementing new strategies, streamlining the process for our homeless veterans to come in for a housing assessment, as well as getting into um, some type of transitional housing on a path to permanent housing. So. Um, I'm new to the VA. I'm new to Las Vegas. Oh, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Coming up on my year. It's gone by very quickly. 
um, but a large part of my role is outreach. And so over the last year, the community of Las Vegas and homeless providers have really come together to work um, as a team. And that's very exciting because we've been able to implement throughout the community um, a veteran response team that we are going into the field and trying to meet veterans directly where they're at. Um, a lot of the barriers that our veterans have is transportation. And so meeting people at the courtyard, at Catholic Charities, and then literally on the street, we have been able to engage veterans, um, do housing assessments right there, and at times get them from the street into a transitional housing program. Um, the work has been very exciting. Uh, we're learning a lot about ways to improve across the community, um, not just for homeless veterans, but for all the homeless in Las Vegas, um, a team holistic approach to ending homelessness. So you, you mentioned kind of meeting them where they're at. And you talked about the courtyard, Catholic charities, things like that. Um, is, is there a, a certain time where it's best to go out and, and try and reach folks? Because I know just from being being here in the city, driving around, you see like the, the encampments kind of start to pop up on the streets around, you know, five, six o'clock. People are kind of settling in for the night. So, uh, but, but obviously, I mean, you have tours of duty and things like that as far as your job. So uh, where, where does that intersect and, and kind of how do you how do you make that work? Yeah, so uh, a lot of it is, you know, thinking outside the box. We know that the majority of elderly individuals that are homeless tend to stay put, right? So they're not mobile throughout the city. Um, we encounter many of our elderly veterans at the courtyard at Catholic Charities um, or when we engage them, we ask, you know, is, is this an area where you tend to stay, where you tend to hang out? And so the best time, it varies, honestly. So we do want to get to people before they start moving about the city, if, if they have appointments or things. And so we're typically at Courtyard every Wednesday morning um, from about 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. We've been doing that for about the past two months, and they know we're coming. Um, we get great feedback that, oh my gosh, you're here. Wow, I don't have to try and get over to the, the East Clinic, right? Um, on the flip side of that, we have been talking, Liz and I, um, and we have a new outreach social worker, which is very exciting. Uh, Catholic Charities opens at three o'clock. So we will be there, myself and my outreach chaplain or peer support, we get there around three on Tuesdays and we're there till about five. Salvation Army is another uh, resource that we're gonna be start going to. Their community shelter, for instance, has a meal at um, around 1 o'clock. So we're working out some dynamics to be able to be present there. But then they also have their shelter community, which may be different people that aren't necessarily coming for that meal, but they are coming to stay the night. And so continuing to work to figure out how we can be present in the evening times um, to engage those veterans because many do have a job and, and they're not around during the day. And so we continue and are constantly looking at what is the need of our veterans and how can we adapt to help meet their need. 
Now, Lace, you mentioned uh, when during during your little intro there, you you mentioned that uh, it's first come first serve based on availability. What happens if somebody presents and there's just no more space? Like what 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 happens then? Right. So the majority of the time we're able to house people same day. If for some reason we're not able to house them same day in a VA program, we will provide transportation to a community shelter um, that afternoon and then we'll pick them up the next morning. And if they're not able to get in same day, usually I would say 99% of the time within 72 hours they're in. So we don't, it's not like, oh, you're out of luck. You're here too late. The beds are gone. Mm -hmm. We're going to provide continuous care until they can get into VA housing. Okay. So for for each of you, uh, and, and Heather, we'll go ahead start with you uh, what would you say are kind of your biggest roadblocks to getting folks housed here if it's just uh unwillingness or maybe don't, don't trust the government quote unquote or or whatever um go ahead and heather if you want to go ahead and start with that but uh, kind of interested in, in in everybody's answer mm-hmm. here yeah so there's a lot of a lot of things um that can be roadblocks and i will say uh, most of it i wouldn't say is on the veteran side um i think many times there's a lot of systemic barriers that are in place um time timeliness of um of getting vouchers um but the bigger issue is just the lack of affordable housing in las vegas um housing stock is diminishing uh, more and more every day and um because of um the way Las Vegas is growing, many people are selling their properties so that they can um, renovate and charge higher rents. Um, So the lack of available housing stock, but then also the location where the the Section 8 or the the voucher is able to be used tends to be in locations that are not um, conducive to people who are trying to recover. Uh, Many of our veterans struggle with mental health and substance use. And when you're down on the strip or you're in some of those areas, um, those are areas that it's really hard to stay away from some of those temptations. Um, And then just kind of the, we do have veterans who maybe it's just not the right time for them to get housed and they they think they want housing, but the more they think about it, they may not. So we have some veterans who make the choice that they don't want to move forward. Um, But then there's also, like I said, with with our housing authority and getting from the time we refer them to the time they can get their voucher in hand and then can get housed. There's just some some delays and barriers that uh, we're actually currently working on um, in that to try and improve that. I would say the same is true with, um, we have a very large aging population mm-hmm. um, throughout the country, especially veterans. We're looking at you know veterans that are continuing to age and needing higher levels of care. So there are veterans that may be street homeless, but they're actually needing you know assisted living, a skilled nursing facility, that type of thing. And so coming up with resources or out of the box methods to try to get them access to those programs. A lot of times those are very expensive programs. Um, and so we're having to work through you know different paths with Medicaid and different options to be able to get them into the level of care where they're gonna be safe and be able to age you know, in place with the support that they need to do so safely. Yeah, Liz kind of beat me to it. Um, <laughs> I come from a geriatric psych background. And so for me, one of my main focuses is um, working with HUD VASH um, to try and get Public Housing Authority to look at utilizing possibly HUD VASH vouchers in such situations as assisted living um, or shared living. Shared living is something that um, is really growing, but it's not for everybody especially when we look at many of our veterans and their past experiences. Um, 
for me, when I'm in the community, and I know that even at CRC, one of the main barriers is getting access to their photo identification um, and having a mailing address. So Courtyard, you can get mail there, but you have to check in once a month. So if you have somebody living on the southwestern side of town and their only option for a mailing address is Courtyard, that takes an entire day to get across just to check your mail. Um, and so we do encounter a lot of veterans that for various reasons, their items are stolen. Um, when uh, Metro comes through and does a sweep, a lot of times their things just get thrown out. And so then they're back at square one with trying to get documents. And that is something that we continue to work um, at. Uh, reaching out to the, the, I always get all these acronyms mixed up, the <laughs> Nevada Veteran State, whatever it is. Um, you know, I've reached out to them to say, hey, is there some way we can work with the DMV uh, to address this? You know, it's such a barrier and many people societal wise don't think about these barriers that our unhoused community face. So I think that the VA is really trying to work at what has worked in the past, what hasn't worked. And as we continue to see these needs and these barriers of transportation, IDs, access, we continue to try to develop new pathways. So, so knowing how hard like the documents issue is, is there any way, like, I, I don't know how the, the liaising works back and forth, but to tell the city, like, hey, maybe don't throw their stuff out. Like, there's stuff in there they actually need, or at least go through it and make sure it's important. Like, because it seems like that would be something that's kind of a no-brainer. Like, don't respect people's property, right? Don't throw it out. Like, I, I, is there feedback that goes back, and, and not necessarily that specific issue, but like, if you say, hey, the big problem we're having is we need XYZ, and there's something going on that prevents XYZ from happening, how do we fix this? Like, how, how, does, that, uh, how does that work? So I'll speak about some um, kind of exciting things that we're um, looking at uh, coming on the horizon with HUD-VASH. Um, we recently participated in what they called a boot camp um, with that the um, Housing and Urban Development, so HUD um, and the Homeless Program Office um, put together. They held them all throughout the nation, and we were able to attend one um, quite recently, actually, in, in Los Angeles. And um, we had um, HUD-VASH leadership and um, leadership from the housing authority and one of the things that really came out of that is identifying that actually the HUD-VASH voucher they must allow veterans to use that voucher uh, for special housing types and those special housing types include assisted living facilities they include group homes it includes allowing them to um, use it for shared housing and then there's also something they called congregate living uh, which we're thinking is very similar to like sober living type environments um, so right now we've um, we've communicated those things with our housing authority and they're currently looking at okay how are we gonna because this is a must this is isn't an option it's a must we they must allow our veterans to um, use these so we're really excited to know that that's going to be coming on the um, you know on the horizon and the other thing that um, the housing authority is looking at when you talk about documents some of our veterans um, get housed get unhoused and have to go back through the system um, and so we're working on a way to with the housing authority um, to maintain their documents and means in a way that they can 
re-access them. Um, and we try to maintain them as much as possible as well, um, but having those uh, maintained at the housing authority, but then also looking at how we can streamline and get waivers for some of those documents. Because we do know that um, trying to obtain some of those documents is does lead to those pretty significant delays sometimes in obtaining your voucher. So what they're looking at is um, what kind of waivers can we request that says, we can self-certify this right now, and then we have additional time to provide that documentation. So it's not like you have to provide this right now or we can't give you your voucher. It's we'll self-certify and in 30, 60 days, you can provide it. So that's not gonna delay being able to get their voucher. So they'll be able to get that voucher and really work on getting housed and then work on the paperwork as we're doing that. So there's a lot of really exciting things that we're working at with the housing authority right now um, to try and improve that streamline and reduce time. So I've got one more question here before we, we gotta take a break real quick. But um, you, said when, you said that there's some folks that just aren't ready to be housed mm -hmm. yet. And when we think about you know a, a stereotypical homeless person it's somebody who's down on their luck and had a bad life circumstance you know they came to Vegas they bet it all on black and it came up red and now they're just out of luck but in reality there's some folks out there who actually enjoy that lifestyle right and and, and I say that without any judgment or anything mm -hmm. So when you run into those kinds of folks that you know it, it's not even a ready to be housed yet situation it's like no, I, I love it. I love this. I, I'm, I'm free and clear. I'm responsible for nothing to nobody. Uh, what do you guys do? Like, how do you guys react to that? And, and, and I guess, like, does that make you feel like you're not doing your job? Right. Like, um, I, I know it's a weird, weird way, but like, like, what do you mean you don't want to be in a like, right? Yeah. Right. right. So, yeah. So we're all clinical social workers, and so part of one of the social work ethics is self-determination. So I think that we definitely need to respect veterans where they're at, and if they're saying that, that's fine. I think the other side of it is letting them know that we're available if and when they're ready. So as we talked about aging veterans, you know, maybe they've been on the street for 30, 40 years, and it's fine, and now all of a sudden they're 70, 80, they're feeling more vulnerable, they're feeling like, okay, yeah, I was able to do this when I was younger, but now it's cold, I'm hurting, you know, I have different things going on. So just letting them know that the resources are available when you're ready, if you're ready, whenever that may be. The other thing is we'll have veterans who are like, they don't want, they want as much freedom as possible. So they don't want to follow the rules in our transitional housing program and they choose to stay in a tent until they can get in their own apartment. We'll work with them as well. We've housed, successfully housed people from the street, literally from a street, from a tent into their own apartment where they don't have all of the rules that they would have in transitional housing. So it's really about finding an individualized approach that's gonna work for the specific veteran that we're encountering. And I would imagine we're, we're talking about the, the housing aspect here, but you know, there's a lot more that we do for homeless veterans yes. and when it comes to mental health care general health care uh, the full spectrum right so what are the things what are the misconceptions um i think about many of our homeless programs but i know specifically with hud vash many times people think hud vash is just housing we get people housed and that's all we do the reality is is that we have a multidisciplinary team, but we also have um, a good number of LCSWs. So we have clinical social workers who are working with veterans and they're developing treatment plans because we know it's not just getting someone housed. We know it's how do we help you stay housed? So how do we address um, those mental health concerns? How do we address the, the things that kept you unhoused so that we can 
help keep you housed. Um, so we we are trying to kind of shift the paradigm on how people look at HUD-VASH from being you're a housing program to we are a clinical treatment program that has a housing component. So there's so much more that we do than just get veterans into housing. I don't want to minimize it, but when you think about it, we can get somebody into house. We can get somebody an apartment. Keeping them there and helping them maintain that housing for people who maybe haven't have been on the streets for 30 years and have never had a lease, have never had to follow the rules of a lease, have never had to interact with a landlord. Helping them learn those skills uh, is a big part of what we do and just helping them figure out how to maintain that housing and providing the support. Perhaps someone doesn't want to be sober. That's fine. We'll work with ways to work with you. And again, it's the veteran-centered approach. What does the veteran want and how can we work with you to focus on your goals and what's important to you? Yeah, and it's so often it's just, you know, you can learn something, but learning how to use it and, and implement it and, and do those kinds of things are usually the the much harder aspect and, and mm -hmm. takes a lot more work. So that's great. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the homeless surge that's going on right now in Las Vegas and the upcoming pick town. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Got a question about your VA benefits, health care, or eligibility? Go to va.gov, where you can access a new interactive chatbot to ask questions 24-7. Access the feature through va.gov's Contact Us page. Then click on the Start Chat button. This is one way VA is offering seamless access to its online resources. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line. I'm your host, Joshua Gray, here with Liz Jarman, Kelly Rupp, and Heather Berard. We are talking about veteran homelessness. And one of the things that's been going on for the past five, six, seven weeks now is uh, the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System has been participating in a homeless surge. Now, when you say homeless surge, 
Uh, some people might immediately think we're being flooded with homeless people, but that's not really what it is. So, uh, Liz, why don't you go ahead and, and, and tell me what the homeless surge is and kind of why it's going on? Sure. So we were one of six cities in the nation selected. Um, it's specifically an unsheltered homeless veteran sur- homeless surge. So we're looking for veterans that are unsheltered. Um, they can be in encampments, in the desert, um, even at courtyard counts as unsheltered because they're still sleeping outside and trying to get them, make sure that they're aware of the resources that are available and then get them into transitional and permanent housing. Um, one of the reasons that we were selected is they felt like our community has the structure in place and the, the staffing and um, everything in place to make a significant difference. Um, and going into this, you know, even though we're not some of the northern states that get snow and stuff, it is the coldest time of year in Nevada um, or in southern Los, in Las Vegas and southern Nevada. And so um, being able to get off, get veterans off the street, also during the holidays, um, this started right before Thanksgiving and then going all the way through um, the end of January. You have Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. Um, veterans that are isolated um, a lot of times it can be a very triggering time of year and so trying to reach out and let them know the resources that are available for them as far as housing so when you said they selected us the they is the VA this is a VA program yes correct VA program run through the homeless program office okay so what are some of the other cities that were selected if you happen to know off the top so interestingly enough they were all um, West Coast so I want to say Southern California there was one uh, Bay Pines Florida um, LA, I think LA, Palo Alto, um, different places in kind of Southern, Southern California, Nevada, and then Bay Pines. So all warmer climates, but also areas that we, we have a high amount of unsheltered veterans. So opening this question up for the group now then, what was the planning that had to go into this? Um, was this something there was a contingency plan for, or did this just kind of fall out of the sky on your head and it's like, go? Definitely more of the second. <laughs> yes, yes, it was It was kind of a, here it is, can you start now? Um, without a lot of, obviously we're eager to meet the challenge. Um, we have a good team. We have a team that's very passionate about veterans. We have the resources as far as transitional and permanent housing available. Um, but there was very little time to get a plan in place. Um, what we knew is that we needed to prioritize unsheltered veterans. So when we talk about taking veterans um, on a walk-in basis, you know, first come, first serve at the CRC, we shifted that a little bit to look at the veterans that are the most acute, the most in need. So obviously, if you've been unsheltered, you're sleeping outside, you're at a higher need of housing versus someone who's maybe sleeping on his mom's couch and she's okay letting him stay there a couple more days. So we had to shift things a little bit as far as um, prioritizing unsheltered, trying to get them in bed same day, um, and then veterans that might be a little bit more flexible with being able to wait, um, being able to do that. Okay, so what were some of your guys' strategies for uh, addressing yeah. this? Yeah. Um, the first week of the surge, I was like 150%, go, 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 go. I think it was like a Thursday and Liz saw my face and she's like, I haven't seen that face. What is that? And, you know, I took the weekend because as social workers, we need to prevent burnout balance. I took the weekend and I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? Why am I even stressing out about this? We got this. We're. I think we're going to meet our numbers by the end of December. And so started to approach it a little bit differently in the fact that um, we're getting out every day. Um, Whether it is with US vets, it could be with help of Southern Nevada. Um, Metro Police has a homeless outreach team. And so we've been working daily with them and letting the community know if you encounter a veteran um, that is unsheltered, we have these resources for you to call us right away 
we can verify if they're eligible for housing. And then I will go out to them and meet with them there, or we will set up for them to get a housing assessment. Um, and in many cases, we can get somebody in either, like Liz said, that day or within 72 hours. So it really sounds like it's not something that required too much planning, that, that surge is literally just kicking it into overdrive. Yes, yes. And I think one of the things that's important is to recognize that we it's a one-team approach. And so um, it's not just, it's not the VA doing it alone. There's no way we can do it alone. Um, and so it's we work with all of our community providers, you know, from US Vets, Help of Southern Nevada, have the community outreach teams um, that Kelly's talking about. They're canvassing the Valley 24-7. So it's basically continuing to work with them to build those partnerships of you find the homeless veteran, you let us know, we'll be there and pick them up, bring them in, get them housed that same day. Um, so we also have the pit count coming up yes right um what's the pit count you know, we we do it every year sometimes folks may have heard about it may not have heard about it um what what is the pit count sure so pit count stands for point in time count um it is mandated by hud housing and urban development um, it's related to seeing what the needs are in the community and being able to get us the resources to meet those needs so it's incredibly important that we engage in it we do a thorough job um, it has to be conducted i believe during the last 10 days in january um, and we work, I work closely with our Southern Nevada Continuum of Care, which is all of the homeless providers um, in this part of the state, but we also have a rural Continuum of Care and a Northern Nevada Continuum of Care. And we work to do it all on the same night. Um, so for this year, it's January 25th. Um, point in time is literally at that point in time. So for that night, how many homeless individuals can we identify? Um, it includes both unsheltered, so veterans, or not just veterans, but anyone who's homeless on the street, as well as veterans, veterans and other people in the community that are homeless and sheltered in emergency shelters that night. So what are, I guess, some of the challenges with that, right? Because you, you're doing it on one night, it, it's hard to get everybody in one night, you know, uh, you're gonna miss folks. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, so, you know, and, and that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't be everywhere all at once, right? So uh, what's the process then to go ahead and say, okay, well, there's X amount of people when you know it's not possible to count everybody. Of course. So we canvas, we, it's a large uh, community effort. This year we have the jurisdictional partners of Northern, uh, sorry, North Las Vegas, Henderson and um, City of Las Vegas all participating in it as well with their volunteer teams. We're canvassing all of Southern Nevada. So it's basically giving, giving maps, covering that section, you're covering that entire section of town that you're given from you know one end to the other, getting as thorough of a count as you can. Um, a lot of times you'll encounter, as you can imagine, so we start the, we start the pit count around 5 a.m., 5 a.m. deployment. As you can imagine, a lot of people are still sleeping at that time. Um, they're, the last thing they want is to be approached and asked if they'll answer survey questions. So um, our teams are invited, you know, if they encounter someone who seems approachable, seems willing to ask, answer survey questions, we'll ask those questions and those allow us to con collect additional data related to demographics. Um, at the end of the day, we do the best job that we can for that one night. Um, and then there's various um, kind of algorithms and extrapolations of that data that are then presented to HUD. And it's kind of, here's, here's the amount of surveys we did, here's the amount of people we identified, and then they use kind of this math to create, okay, that, yes, you didn't find every single person, there's no way to, but that amount that you found equals this amount. So 
Heather, for you, how, how important is that data when it comes out a year later for, you know, getting folks through like the HUDVASH program, things like that, even though you do more than just housing? Like, <laughs> well, how important is that data and how much does that inform what you go forward for the next year? So I would say that specific point in time is not as, um, it doesn't impact HUDVASH as much aside from the fact that, again, we're one team. So anything that um, impacts our intake folks or transitional housing, anytime we can get data that helps um, identify areas where we may need more resources helps all of us because that then gives us the opportunity to say, we need more staff, we need more this. Um, at some point in time in the future, we may need more vouchers. Having that information just helps add a layer of support when we're asking for more from HUD. So if we need more vouchers and we can say, well, based on our point in time count, we have X number of unsheltered veterans and we only have X number of HUDVASH vouchers available. So when we have our next, uh, the next voucher allocation, we can say, hey, Southern Nevada Regional Housing Authority, we think we need more vouchers, let's go ahead and request more. So it's not so much in the moment important, but it's that supporting data for HUDVASH that we rely on from Liz's team and from our transitional housing, because uh, we all are working together to make sure we have the resources for our veterans. And, and Kelly, for you, you know, you, you were talking about you're, you're out all the time, right? Um, so how, how is this any different for you? You know, it, it's a different uh, kind of a methodology, right? You're just driving around, mm -hmm. you got a map, you're you know, up and down streets. But, you know, what makes this different for you than what you do every day? Yeah, um, one of the things that makes it different uh, is the volunteers. Um, you know, we have a really good number right now going of VA volunteers. And there's, I believe, 12,000 miles um, that we need to cover within that point in time count. What makes it different for my role is that, um, you know, I'm always on the ground and we'll have people driving, but we'll also have people walking. And so it, it makes it a little different because the majority of people that might be um, unsheltered might be in tents um, and it's hard to identify. There could be one person in that tent, there could be three. Um, also, we're never out at 5 a.m. Um, I think the earliest we get out sometimes is 6.30 in the summer when it's super hot. Um, and so it's, it's a different time. But we know that outreach occurs 24-7. And so there are teams um, in the community that are out at night that are out on the weekends. And so it does, it, it does give a different environment for me. Um, it is my first point in time count. And so I get, I, I get to see the behind the scenes of everything that goes into it. But then with Las Vegas also being a transient city, it's super important that we do this yearly because our numbers are constantly changing um, and we get veterans that are here and then they go somewhere else and then they come back. And so those numbers and that data is key to understanding the community's needs, but as well the resources that the VA needs to have in place to meet these veterans needs. So, you know, I, I've heard Vegas referred to as a homeless tourism town where people will come here for because it's, you know, nice weather. Um, there's a, a, a community here uh, that is kind of accepting of them being here. Um, how much does that 
change the numbers? Do you, do you find that usually uh, the people who decide to, to move on equals the folks who come in, or is the population growing? It, does it fluctuate from, from year to year? Like, how does that impact? Uh, you, you brought it up, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 um, the population changes, so I was mm-hmm. just wondering how much. Yeah. So I'll say we see it this a lot with HUD Bash because we'll have veterans. Um, we have a we have a, a number of veterans who will not quite get to the housed point, and many times it's because well I think I'm going to go live in Florida or Alaska or wherever they decide that they're going to go. Um, but then we know that it's very likely they're going to come back. So we have a lot of veterans who will start the process and be like, mm, not thinking Vegas is where I want to be, and they'll go somewhere else, and they'll be like, hey, wait, I really do want to go back to Vegas. So I think the numbers fluctuate, um, but I think we stay pretty consistent in that fluctuation, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. I don't think we have you know, a huge number of people coming in, and I think we have a fairly similar number going out. So I think it stays pretty similar. Uh, I don't think we see any huge surges either way. So you mentioned, you know, there's volunteers, folks volunteering for the pit count. Um, if, if folks are interested in volunteering, do they do they have to be VA employees for one? And two, if they are interested in volunteering, how, how do they get a hold of you guys and, and volunteer? Yeah, so one, you don't have to be a VA employee. Um, the city, Henderson, North Las Vegas, also put out for volunteers from the community. Um, on the Help Hope Home website, there is a section for the point in time count and there is a sign up link. Um, all you have to do is go to that sign up link. There are four different deployment sites. You can pick which deployment site you would like to um, go to. And then there's also some volunteer videos that we encourage our volunteers to watch. There are some, there's a lot of other information there too that can prepare the volunteer for the point in time count. Awesome, that's some great information. It's a lot going on. It's exciting, <laughs> it's very there, exciting. There's, there's a lot going on. And you know, the, the, the work of getting anybody who is unhoused into housing really never ends, right? It's always something like we, we, we'd love it for, you know, the world to be a perfect utopia and everybody to have all the things that they have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is sometimes. And, and it's, a, it's a thankless job, but I'm really glad that you guys are out there doing it. That's thank you. Thank, thank yeah, you so that's much. Awesome. Well, one thing that does end is the time we have to do this show. So um, I would like to thank all of you for, for joining us today. Liz, Heather, Kelly, you guys are awesome. This has been a great conversation. Um, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to come out and talk about this because it is important, right? It, it is, mm-hmm. it is it, like I said, it's thankless and it's something that is, is so important to, to, for folks to know that there's folks out there who care. Right. Yes, and, and no matter what situation you're going through in life, that, you know, somebody will be there to to offer a helping hand. Absolutely. So I, I just want to thank you for all of the work that you guys do. Um, it, of all of the things that we do here at the VA, you know, being working here in the public affairs shop, I get to see a lot of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the things that is my absolute most favorite to be <laughs> to be a part of. So thank you very much, ladies, for joining me. That's all the time we've got for the show for this week. My name's Joshua Gray. This is The Nine Line. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at 
facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.